Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. since I wrote this study of Romans, and I can honestly say that for months, I have pondered and worried about teaching the lesson I'm about to teach right now. It is the last lesson in Paul's parentheses. From Romans chapter 11, it's the final verses, 25 through 36. I titled it, The Perfection of God's New Covenant. It's lesson 19 in the books. For the remainder of chapter 11, Paul is going to write an eloquent and mysterious summation of what he's been saying since the beginning of chapter 9. In some ways, you could call this his closing statement if you were an attorney in a legal case. It is difficult. It puts a bow on everything he's been saying in 9 to 11 about his message to the people of Israel and for those in the church and for those outside the church who were still refusing Jesus and continuing to refuse Jesus. It's also for the Gentile Christians who needed to understand that Israel had been a people of great privilege and covenant promise. And here's the tension. You cannot study this passage and know what Paul is saying. You can make some pretty good guesses based on the rest of 9, 10, and 11. Remember those passages that I told you to remember. They would be important. Remember the passage from chapter 10 that I said was the framework of all of this. We have to fit these verses into the entire framework of 9, 10, and 11. If you read them as standalone, they will feel uncertain. Honestly, they feel a little uncertain even within the context. But the best way to evaluate scripture is from the whole of scripture. All of Paul's letters contain truth. Paul's theology hasn't changed, but this is, in many ways, some of his highest writing. Let's see if we can study this passage and understand what Paul was trying to say in the last three chapters, or in these three chapters, to his Jewish brothers. He's going to close his, what I call his Roman parentheses, with an eschatological summary. Eschatological, or eschatology, is the study of the end times, the last days in Scripture, the final coming of Christ. In many ways, this is an eschatological passage where Paul is talking about God's final judgment, God's final decision 
And if you'll keep that in mind, it is the time when God will work here on earth for the last time. So it's important to remember that if you pick up four commentaries, you likely have four different understandings of this passage. The only way to know somebody is accurately teaching this passage is to listen to the person who says they can only possibly have an understanding of it. I think that's true about any eschatological literature. Those who teach it as if they have perfect knowledge, I think are ignoring the bulk of what most theologians have felt. And so I want to say that the only way to interpret a tough passage is to use the easy ones. I want you to know that there's more than one possible understanding of these verses we're about to look at. So let's look at what Paul says about it. He begins this summary, this closing statement of chapters 19 and 11 saying, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Paul even describes his knowledge of what God will do in the end times as a mystery. If Paul thinks the end times are a mystery, I'm going to stand firmly on that piece of information. I believe God did not tell us. I believe most of the charts that have been drawn up and established uh, that guaranteed or predicted the end times, the last days, I believe the ones that we had after World War II have been, or during World War II, have been written, rewritten, and then rewritten again. The end times, the second coming of Christ, is a mystery. They were standing in Acts 1-8, the apostles were standing on the Mount of Ascension, and they wanted to know when Jesus was coming back. His response to them, I believe, is his response to all of us today. He looked at his disciples and he said, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. It's not for you to know. But then he said, but here's what you can know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus didn't know when he would return. I don't either. I don't fully understand the circumstances of his return. I just know that he's going to. And I believe that's why Paul describes the words he's about to say as a mystery. And he says, it's so that you may not be conceited. I don't believe anyone can predict the last days, the end times. To do so says you know something that Jesus did not and that Jesus did not tell us. But he does say, here's what you can know. Israel is experiencing a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. There are two ways to look at this. One way is to say that 
the Israelites will only be hardened until the number of Gentiles that God is planning to save has happened. And then Israel will be given another opportunity, another chance to come into the faith, to come to know Jesus as their Messiah. That's one way to look at it. Another way is to say that from the beginning of time, there's been a hardening in a person who is not knowledgeable of the end times. We none of us are. This is a tough passage to teach. I believe that when God knows it's time to send his son back, it will happen. He knows the exact number. He knows when everyone will be saved that's going to be saved. And that's when Jesus will return. I believe it's a mystery just like Paul did. Paul has told the church in Rome, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters. The mystery he is talking about is this unfolding, constant activity of God throughout history where God has been at work from the beginning, from the garden, bringing about the salvation of mankind. And Paul says, don't be ignorant about this mystery. God has always been working to bring everyone to faith and knowledge of him. Don't be conceited thinking the Jewish people were the chosen race and that God chose only them. It's a mystery why he chose a certain people, but it was in his perfect plan to bring about the salvation of all mankind. His perfect people through whom he would bring the Messiah. So what Paul could be explaining is that while God's always had a plan, it's been revealed over time. The hidden things are at some point made known. There have been times, well, it's called in theology, progressive revelation, where God has slowly throughout history revealed more and more and more of who he is. If you've ever read the Old Testament and felt like that seems like a different God than the understanding we have in the New Testament, he's the same God. It's just that we know more about him since he came in the flesh through his son, Jesus Christ. We should not be conceited and presume we can understand everything there is to understand about God. He's a mystery. You can't truly be a student of the Bible if you think you have to understand every point of it in order to believe it. If we had a God we could understand, he wouldn't truly be God. I often say to my classes, knowing God or trying to teach God to others is like trying to teach trigonometry to a toddler. We can do our best, but there's never any way that a human being can fully grasp who God fully is. Israel had experienced an insensitivity toward God's presence in the world towards God's work in the world, what God was doing. And that's what Paul is saying. They will be hardened to the work of God in the world for a time until the full number of Gentiles has been brought in. 
And then he says one of the most difficult verses in all of the New Testament. He said, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The question is, what does Paul mean by all Israel? It's important to start with the words that precede that. Because Paul says, and in this way. What's Paul talking about? What way? In this way, the way of the Gentiles, the way of showing that God is saving even the Gentiles because of their faith will hopefully move Israel, the Jewish people, to understand it's not their nationality. It's not their promise that will save them. It is their faith. It always has been. In that same way that the promise has been given to and and salvation has been given to the Gentiles, in that same way, Israel will be saved. Why? Because as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. Zion could be the city of Jerusalem, but Zion can also be heaven. Welcome to the tension. Is Paul talking about when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when he walked through the streets of Jerusalem to the cross? Is that when Israel was saved and the godlessness was taken away from Jacob? Or was it when the deliverer comes from Zion for the final time? We don't know. Could Israel be a nation or could it be the remnant? I believe it's the remnant. It could be all the Jewish people, or it could be just those Jewish people who have faith. It could be the Jewish people who accept Jesus as their Messiah. That was John Calvin's theology. That's my theology. But other people would say that there's a special dispensation for the Jewish people that will occur at the second coming of Christ. I don't know, and I can't teach it any other way. It's a mystery what God is going to do at the final coming. And we'll talk a little more. The deliverer is going to come from Zion. That does seem to indicate the second coming of Christ. But it can also be the birth of Christ. So why might Paul be saying this? He quotes a covenant promise of God given to both Isaiah and Jeremiah to preach that God will take away Israel's sins. Is that still yet to happen? Or has God provided for that already? There are theologians on both sides of that. But Paul says, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs for God's gifts and his call is irrevocable. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Is God still going to fulfill his old covenant promise to the Jewish people, or has he already done that? Even though Israel is standing against the gospel message, Paul says they are still God's elect, chosen people because his call is irrevocable. Here's the tension. Did the life of Christ and the new covenant 
reveal God's salvation for all? Is it simply, as Paul said earlier, the culmination of all that has happened before and of the Old Testament law? I can tell you fairly, that's where I land. I believe that God fulfilled his promise to the nation Israel when he gave them their Messiah. And I believe that they are now brought into the realm of all people and salvation is possible for all through Christ. But I don't really believe there's a special dispensation for those in Israel. Now Paul will speak to the Gentiles saying, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. I believe Paul answers the tension in these two verses. Paul has just said to the Gentiles, just as you were once disobedient to God, and now Israel is disobedient to God, but just as you have received mercy now because of their disobedience, so too they have a chance to receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. The nation of Israel was given the law, the prophets, all of those kings, all of their history, in order to show the world who Jehovah God was, to reveal his character, his power. God wanted the nation of Israel to show the world who he was. But the Gentiles were not included because Israel began to think of themselves as the only chosen race, the only people God would accept. The Gentiles then were given salvation. They were given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were given the faith in God that had once been what belonged to the nation Israel. And they were given all of that. And now it was their purpose to show God's mercy to the world. We are Gentiles, most of us hearing this today. We are that group of Gentiles. It is our job now to carry God's plan of salvation, the mystery of his final coming to the world. They are to know that they too can have God's mercy. And then Paul writes, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience. Pause, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? so that he may have mercy on them all. What was the mystery of God's revelation of himself throughout the history of time? It was that, that eventually God would bind everyone over to their disobedience, to the knowledge that they had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so that then they would know they needed his mercy and they would choose his son. And when they did, he goes, he was able to have mercy on them all. God bound everyone to a place of knowing they were sinners so that everyone could know they had a savior. But some believe 
that God is simply allowing the Jewish nation to be bound for a time. And then Jesus will then come to save all of them as well. That is a belief among some, and it can absolutely be built in to a theology using verses from Scripture. I think it's a more difficult theology to build than the one that when Jesus came, God's new covenant was introduced. And now everyone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, or they don't. Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. There's a lot I can't explain about the verses we look at today. But on this truth, everyone can stand. God is too great, too vast, too unsearchable for us to understand everything about him. God's word gives us everything we need to know in order to be saved. It will never tell us everything we want to know. So Paul's closing understanding about everything is just this. God is wise. He is all-knowing. His ways are unsearchable. His judgments are unsearchable. His paths are beyond our ability to understand. God's ways are mysterious. And then Paul writes, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Paul is quoting from Job, probably the most ancient wisdom literature in all of Scripture. We're to look to Job, who experienced all that Job experienced, and yet remained faithful. That's our calling as well. Not understanding the end times is fine. We aren't meant to. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been able to be his counselor, tell him what to do? Who has ever given so much to God that God needs to repay them? That's Job's words the oldest, most ancient book, maybe in all of scripture. And Paul goes back to those oldest, most ancient words to say what was true then for Job is still true for us today. We can't fathom God. We can't figure out every last detail of what God is going to do in his perfect plan to save the world. But we do know that even though we look through the glass dimly, we still see that vision of who God is. One day, we'll see him face to face and fully understand. But for now, do we share Paul's enormous understanding of God's unfathomable greatness. Paul concludes this most difficult chapter saying, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Most of today's passage contains the mystery of what God is going to do with the rest of history.
and with the Jewish people. The only way to interpret eschatology is to interpret it as the mystery of God, not yet received, not yet fully understood. Our confidence should never be in all that we know. Our confidence is always in who we know. So what will happen to Israel at the second coming? That answer depends entirely on how you define who is Israel. Here's what we can know. God loves the Jewish people and always has. They have always been a unique land and a unique people throughout history. You can also know that Jesus came to be their Messiah. And what is most profound to me is that everyone of the original apostles spent their lives trying to convince their Jewish brothers to accept the gospel message of their salvation through Christ. At the end of this very difficult passage, I want you to line it up with passages that are easier and allow your theology to be born from the bulk of scripture and not two or three uniquely mysterious verses. Remember that Jesus told Zacchaeus, who was a Jewish tax collector, you must be born again. Later, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a Jewish Pharisee, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And here's what matters. Don't stop at that familiar verse, John 3, 16. Jesus went on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you're going to build a theology on the end times, I think it's crucial to start with that building block. It's hard for me to read that because there are people in the nation of Israel that over the past decade I have come to love. And it's hard for me to read those words without experiencing some grief for some of them. They are remarkable people, but I believe they are remarkable people who need to meet Jesus as their Messiah. Let's never stop praying for anyone who hasn't stepped into faith in God's one and only Son, and let that be our theology. Thanks for studying this mysterious passage with me. And before we go, I want you to know you can be absolutely certain that Jesus wants his disciples to share the gospel message, those verses from John we just read, with everyone to the ends of the earth. And we know that Jesus will return again. It'll either be at the end of the world or it'll be at the end of our lives. Either way, Jesus is coming for his children. He is coming for the saved. And everyone, it's the promise of scripture, everyone who belongs to the faithful remnant will go to heaven and live eternally 
That's too amazing for words. But until then, there are many things that will remain a mystery about God. His timing is perfect but unknown. The next lesson is going to cover chapter 12. And again, if you remember, I told you that at the end of chapter 8, that glorious high holy chapter of Romans, remember I told you chapter 8 could easily have fed right into the first verse of chapter 12. Paul will once again change his tone and in the rest of this letter begin to talk about the very practical ways that we can live with the Lord as king of our lives. So I look forward to that time when we are together again and we look at those practical lessons of what it means to live right with God. Sorry for my tears, but they were real. I'll see you next time. We are so glad that you are participating in this study of Romans. We would love to encourage you to spend time in a personal study of Paul's letter as well. There is a printed workbook that contains a summary of Rome during Paul's time, maps and thought-provoking weekly lessons with commentary and questions that will allow you to learn far more about the passage and how that passage can impact your life. We hope you'll get a copy so that you can study Romans in depth with greater understanding. Simply go to foundationswithjanet.org to order your copy today.